Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Stephen the Warman Writes Kickfighting Podcast Show. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman. Uh, you are listening to this podcast in various ways, but the most common ways are either enter Warman Kickfighting Show into your iTunes search engine, go to lordgaul.podbean.com for the direct blog, and then also we are on SoundCloud. Uh, Want to bring in a special guest. I've known this guy for years. He's one of the best guys. Is what he's done. Uh, he has been repping kickboxing and mixed martial arts and um, just the whole combat sports world for a very long time. Everybody, introduction for Mr. Mike Chavella. How you doing, Mike? Oh, man, it's good to hear from you, brother. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, we'll get right into this. Uh, we've got a big one championship tournament. This is, this is probably the best 154 or 70 kgs-ish tournament to me since 2007, 2008. Like it is got all the regular players, uh, like all the best in the world. Just a really, really solid, solid tournament. Just what are your views just in general of seeing such talent on the tar? Mate, I agree. I said it from the moment this card was announced that this is the best card I've seen uh, since the K1 Max days. And, you know, you particularly mentioned 07, 08, which I think were two of the best years of, of K1 Max and when I think K1 Max peaked with the, the talents they had back then. And, you know, the thing about K1 Max back in those days, Steve, was K1 brought together all the finest talents in one weight class under the one umbrella and put them against each other. And that's exactly what one championship is doing, uh, starting with this featherweight tournament and, of course, the featherweight world championship main event this coming Friday. Uh, and I haven't seen anyone do this uh, since the, the K1 Max days. I mean, there's no weak links in this tournament. There's no tomato cans. There's no fighters in there just padding the numbers. These are all the best of the best of the best under one roof. Yeah, I agree, you know, and you, you can make an argument for each guy in here uh, and just the history that we have. It's it's uh, as we, we go through some of the names, um, I'm just blown away at just what recent, you know, uh, resumes were built in term, terms of like a Semisana and then some guys who have been around for a little bit in terms of like an Enrico Keel and a um, Morocco Gorian. And then, of course, we've got the super veteran and Andy Sauer, but it really is a well put together tournament. Before we jump into that tournament, I want to go ahead and start off with the opener. Uh, Red Opakic is going to go against Patrick Schmidt. Raid is one of the elite young talents in the world. Uh, this guy's got, you know, good low kicks and kickboxing from every stance. Plus, he's got the flash, jumping knees, spinning hook kicks. And then we've got Patrick uh, Schmidt, to my best of my ability. I believe this is his debut in one championship. Uh, what can you tell us about this one? Uh, Schmidt has fought before, but under mixed martial arts rules at one championship. Okay. And this is the only fight of the night that I can definitively pick a winner in, and that's Rade Opacic. Yeah. I, I think he's going to destroy Schmidt. He's got too much. He's too talented. Uh, Opacic moves like a middleweight for, for a big, tall guy. Uh, on the inside, he's spectacular. We've seen with the knees. We've seen with the, the spinning heel kicks. I think he destroys Patrick Schmidt. Schmidt is big. But he's very stiff, very lumbering, and uh, I think Opacic is going to be like a, 
a, a, a willing dervish against him and just destroy him. I agree. Apatix is an extremely, extremely talented guy. Uh, excited to see what they have in future for him. If they do decide to put together a, a heavyweight tournament of some sort, uh, he would be one of the guys on the roster that I would pick to, to watch right away. Um, so we'll go ahead and hop into the tournament. Now, the main thing is uh, we'll go ahead and just talk about the individuals and we'll let the action play out. Uh, as you guys understand, with uh, Chevelle being in a commentary role, we don't want him to pick one side or the other. We'll just call the action and kind of make arguments for each guy. So we've got uh, Enrico Kiel, of course, he's got a huge, huge resume in kickboxing. At one period of time, he won a version of the K-1 World Grand Prix, uh, the one where Bocao had the contract dispute and it didn't do the extra round. I believe that actually took place in Bangkok, if I remember correctly, at least in Thailand. Uh, Kiel's been around for a long time, coming off of uh, what I would consider an upset victory over Chingiz Alazov. And then, of course, you've got David Kiria, once upon a time, glory champion. Uh, he has won several tournaments all the world, all over the world. One of the elite, elite talents. Uh, what can you tell us about this banger? This is going to be interesting. Uh, if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on Enrico Kell. I just think Kell's too fast, and that's the thing I love about Enrico. Even though he's, you know, he's he's aged, um, mm -hmm. he's still super fast, and he throws with volume. Uh, he, he's just a whirlwind. There's a hurricane, you know. I think that's one of his nicknames, the Hurricane Enrico Kell. Uh, he keeps throwing and throwing. Kyria, uh didn't impress me against Giorgio Petrosian on his one debut. He, he didn't take his head off the centre line. Uh, he was exposed by Giorgio's slick boxing and he got caught a number of times. And I, I think Cal's going to move too much. I think Cal's going to tag him far more than, than Kyria does. Uh, I think Kyria's going to try and load up on big single blows and Cal's going to you know, get in there, bang away, pepper him, hit him with a lot of shots before Kyria can answer. So I'm looking for Enrico to go through on this one. Yeah, I definitely agree on all fronts, you know, particularly because Kyria's big step-up opportunities, your Robin Van Roos Mollins, your, you know, uh, Bukaus, there, 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 there seems to be a... Um, uh, excuse me, uh, Petrosian back in the past. Uh, I, there seems to be a lack of belief in scoring clean ke uh, kickboxing techniques and his reliance upon, uh, okay, I'm frustrated, so I'm going to do a spinning flip kick or I'm going to do something like, you know, the big singles as you talk about. If he's not able to hurt you with those shots, most guys, the elite guys are able to kickbox him and, and outscore him. So uh, Kyria, is an interesting guy, great story, you know, uh, great to have him in this one. But I do think that uh, Enrico Kiel does come in with the advantage of putting the numbers on the board. We're going to go ahead and move up to the next one, Sammy Sana, who his his fight with Yotzen uh, Klai is probably one of the great fights of the last five years. Uh, he's um, done a good job of uh, being a consistent, all-action fighter, uh, Really brings it. Chingiz Alazov has a K1 world version of the K1 World Grand Prix Championship. Uh, super talent, punching power for both stances. Uh, as I mentioned before, I was surprised by his loss to Enrico Kiel. I thought that he was a great signing for one championship, and I expect him to do better this time around. But man, Sammy is an upset waiting, waiting to happen. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? This one has us, the one championship officers, torn, particularly Mitch Chilson and I. Um, I, I asked Mitch last week during our production meeting his, his tip for the whole tournament, you know, who's going to go through to the final. Uh, real quick, give everybody a rundown and, who Mitch is. Um, yeah. Oh, so Mitch Chilson is my co-commentator, of course, yes. at one championship. Okay. So I asked Mitch who goes through to the final, and we're talking about this match, and, you know, he said Chingazelazov beats Sammy Sanna. 
And I go, where do you rank semi-center overall in the tournament, Dragon? And uh, he said, I, I, I rank him about seventh. And I laughed. I said, how can you rank semi-seventh in the tournament? The guy placed runner-up to Georgia Petrosian in the last featherweight Grand Prix we did. And Mitch said, well, you know, that was a couple of years ago. And these this lineup is, is full of, you know, more killers than there were two years ago. But I hotly disagree. I think semi-center beats Elizov. I wasn't impressed with Elizov's one Super Series debut. And I think, you know, the world generally didn't know about Sammy Senna until that last featherweight Grand Prix. And if you know Sammy Senna, you know from seeing him on TV or in person the way he fights and what weapons he brings into the circle. But if you know Sammy Senna the person, which I do, this guy is demonic in his approach to a fight. This guy is focused. This guy is you know, laser-lined to victory, win at all costs, take no prisoners. He's taller than Alazov. He's got you know, reach in spades over Alazov. He's got knees. He's got a gas tank that can last him all day. Alazov is tricky. Alazov is experienced. Alazov knows how to win tournaments. But, um, man, I, I was, like I said, I, I said to Mitch, you're dreaming if you think Sami Sam is seventh seed out of eight in this tournament because I think Sammy beats Alizov here. Yeah, it's a tough one, you know, and, and I'm definitely curious to see. Now, again, if Alizov is probably one of the best fighters I've seen coming up the ranks when he was on his way up. Uh, the uh, short-lived, um, what was that, one code or fight code that they had in Italy for a while. I remember that's my first time seeing him on it. And I, I, he was like killing guys back then. Had a really great run. He's got some good victories over some elite guys. Lost to Georgia Petrosian, but no shame there. Uh, it was a real step back for me, like when he lost Enrico Kill. I didn't see that coming. So I'm definitely gonna, you know, curious to see what happens as he goes against Sana. Um, I can see how your partner might put him seventh, just based off of Chinggis really did have that good hot role for a little bit and synthesize his history and that kind of thing. But I, even if he, to me, in this particular tournament field, calling someone seventh out of the eight isn't that bad because the eight's that good, you know. Like 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 it's. I, I personally think that's a tougher one. Um, I, I lean Alazov. But man, Sammy is just, is he's hittable, but he can hit you back. So when you hit him and you think you can get out of the exchange, he's so long, he still touches you. So it's it's probably the fight that I'm most intrigued about in the first round, just in terms of curiosity for how it plays out. Uh, not in terms of elite name versus elite, elite name, but I want to see where Sana ranks. And that's funny that he's got him seventh and that you hate it. But that's what makes this game great, you know, Com comparing them. <laughs> Next one. I agree. You know, it, it, it's it's all it's all part of the fun, especially in these Grand Prix. I mean, there are people listening to this show that are going to go, Chevelo's crazy," uh -huh. and there are people listening going, "Yeah, you know, I've seen Semi Center and what he can do at a high elite level." This and and I believe he can go further than getting knocked out in the quarterfinals. And that's as you said, that's half the fun: being able to sit around the water cooler, sit around our TVs, and, and chat with our, our our kickboxing mates and discuss the ins and outs. So we move on to the next uh, tournament um, uh, matchup. We've got Sitichai as he goes against Tafun Asken. Of the signings that one championship have gotten over the last few years, it's not like the other guys aren't as that good. But Tafun Asken is the one that I'm most curious about because we're talking about a special, special talent who had a great run when he was over in Europe. Uh, he has some big time victories. Uh, you know, Muhammad Jiraiya, uh, like like just. 
I can go on and on and on. He is the kind of future prospect that you want to have on your card. And then, of course, you've got Sedichai, who's just pretty much fought everybody. He's considered one of the best of the last five years for sure. Minimum, he's in the top three or else your top three is wrong. Um, just a super talent. These two going back and forth. It's a special, special matchup. Um, clearly, it's Ken Askin deal with the Thai style that everybody else has had trouble with. Uh, he's got the hand power. He's got the combo skills. Uh, but Sedichai is so hard to hit consistently. And, you know, he's got no problem playing it safe and playing single shots and hold. But I'm really hoping that this fight brings out the both best of both guys, no matter who the winner is. Um, what are your thoughts on this one? I agree with what you said 100% there, Steve. Um, you know, Sidichai's got to be in your top three over the last five years. And if he's not, then you don't know, you know, what, what the sport's all about. Um, Ozchan is one of the most exciting fighters we've signed recently. We're finally going to see his debut. And that is something that excites me, Steve, but it's something that also scares me. Mm -hmm. um, on, I believe... Ozchan wins this one if he can overcome the one super series baptism of fire nerves. And that might sound silly, but it's a real thing. We saw it with Elizov. We saw it with uh, David Kiria. We saw it with Marek Gregorian. Um, you know, th there's something different, mate. Mm-hmm. There's something different about competing inside a cage, about competing with those four-ounce gloves. Uh, sorry, well, this is obviously the big gloves, so one, yeah. of, one of the four-ounce gloves, but competing inside the cage in Singapore with all those bright lights and cameras on you, knowing you're being broadcast to 154 countries around the world. There's just something about it. We saw it with Andy Sauer on, on, on his debut one Super Series, and that guy's fought in the biggest shows for you know almost 20 years. But there's just something different. And more so than analyze the technical aspects of this bout, I'm going to put it down to that. If Ozchan can overcome, let's for cliche sake, call them the bright lights of one Super Series on debut, I think he beats Sudachai. So I've got a question for you. You know, put on your matchmaker hat. Would it have been your choice to start him off here? You know, what we talked about the uh, old K1 uh, Grand Prix, there was an earn round, you know what I'm saying? A, a opportunity, like a Jordan tie went against Bokao Bokao to beat Jordan tie to earn himself into the tournament. That's definitely a much more manageable debut. Tafon Askin literally goes right into the fire, you know, and you, you mentioned that before with Kiria, right into the fire. If you had the choice, would you have given him like a debut guy or do you think it's just hey this guy is down to fight anybody uh he could care less he's gonna go go to war no matter what Sidichai's fine the thing at one championship whether it be in mixed martial arts or in, in one super series is that if you've got the reputation we've signed you prove it straight away i mean you know they've thrown straight into the fire look what happened with sage Northcote. yeah you know in mixed martial arts they, they put him against cosmo yeah. You know, straight away, they, they, they threw him against someone tough. They didn't give any pushovers, didn't give him any, any warm-up fights. You know, so it's, there's, there's been a history of doing that. And why shouldn't there be? If you're one of the best, and Ozchan is one of the best, prove it straight away. Up you go against a guy like Sidichai, straight into the tournament. And I'm sure Ozchan wouldn't want to have had it any other way. I'm sure he would not have wanted to miss out on, on a tournament like this by, by being thrown a warm-up fight and then saying, hey, maybe if we do a tournament in a year's time or two years' time, 
time again, we'll put you in that one up and straight into it. And so if I was a matchmaker, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Stephen, it's, it's matchmaking at the moment is difficult because we're also wrapped up in the whole COVID situation. Yes. Um, you know, we can only make as many shows as we can make with all the restrictions and the logistics during COVID, which is a very, very difficult time to navigate. Um, I dare say that if we were in normal times, pre-COVID, we would have seen Typhoon Austin have a single bout against someone. It wouldn't have been a throwaway opponent. It would have been a very good opponent and then go into a, a tournament. But this is COVID times. You've got to make the matches happen and the tournaments happen while you can. And hence, you know, we see him on Friday night against one of the top guys, as you said, in the last five years. Awesome. Definitely agree. Uh, one last question on this bout before we move forward. You had mentioned the bright lights, but the big thing I want to talk about was the difference between the ring and the cage. And um, the, you know, think about uh, Mirko Kroka. Like the example I think about with him is I remember Remy Bonjowski had lost to Mirko. And then he goes out there and he started training with Mirko. Uh, and Mirko was moving around. He's trying to figure out all the space. And Remy was getting the better of him. And he goes, his skill level isn't as high. And then he realized it's because he was used to a different pacing of fighting now. You know, back when they were in the ring in K1, he had the ability to get his kickboxing game going. But Mirko was such a powerful guy. Remy was so young. He was able to get his combo flow going. If I remember, remember correctly, he stopped him. So then later he meets them after the movement, after fighting in pride for a while. And he goes, man, it's just a little off. He's just the, 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 the feel is a little off. In your experience of talking to guys, uh, and you mentioned it before, is there a huge significance between moving around and finding effective offense in a ring as opposed to fighting in a cage? Now, of course, I come from a coaching perspective as well. So for me, it's an easy yes. But you see a lot of guys, you talk to a lot of guys at the highest level. What are your thoughts? Lights aside, just the movement and effective offense of playing in a cage. I've got to say that the, the most... Uh not problem the the most difficulty the guys have to encounter is not they, they don't talk to me about the cage they should talk about the gloves um and that's in muay thai okay. all of our muay thai fights are in four ounce gloves and that's the difficulty when guys do muay thai in the four ounce gloves having gone from the larger gloves they find the defense a lot harder not the offense so much the defense okay. because you know you're blocking punches and there's less padding to block a punch with. So your timing, your distancing, your range needs to change a little bit when you're in the four-ounce gloves. To be totally honest with you, Stephen, and it is a great question, I really haven't heard any complaints bar people being excited to fight inside a cage. Now, if I was a fighter, I, I, I thought, oh, hey, there's no corners to press your opponent to, there's no ropes to lean back on as a form of defence, um, you know, you're in a circle as opposed to 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 a, to a, a structure with you know four ninety degree angles in it. Um, I would think it would be you know a lot different. But like I said, I I have never heard anyone say they're any less than excited to fight in the cage. Um, the main thing is the four ounce gloves. Okay, that's interesting. You know, I've always. I guess I've always wondered about it because for me, the, the gloves, of course, make sense. And I remember it took me a while to get one over on the gloves. I always, you know, because I work with so many high level mixed martial arts guys, I go, the MMA glove serves a function so that you can keep working the grappling uh, for doing it in, in uh, kickboxing. It's just more aesthetic, you know, and, and looking for more violence or trying to simulate it. So I wasn't the big fan, biggest fan of it. Uh, but then 
the Rotang, um, uh, some of his bouts and some of the other matches that happened with the small gloves. I just got won over towards it more than ever. So like uh, I look back on it, I go, you know, it's still high level kickboxing. It's just probably a, a lot more violent, as you said before, because of getting the read on the blocks and in particular block head kicks and stuff like that. It's almost like you have a pad to aid you when you've got the regular gloves. And the feel is definitely, definitely got to be different with the small gloves. So I agree with you there. So we'll go ahead and hop into the uh, next one. Murat Gagorian as he takes on Andy Sauer. Um, when you're uh, when you brought up Mitch and you said, "Hey, I have him seven out of eight. My first thought was Andy Sauer's probably his eight of this tournament, and it's not because Andy isn't what he used to be, because clearly he is older. And if you guys are who are listening want to know what we mean by how much older he is, Andy Sauer was in the second K1 World Gra World Max Grand Prix, the second ever. So like for him to still be around and fighting high level guys, some people are like scared of this matchup. Some people are like, this is the easiest call. This is going to be a first round KO. Like that feel is there, but it was really cool. And the Zhang uh, Shunyu fight uh, earlier when I think that was in December of 2020, for the first time, a lot of people who didn't get to see this guy at his highest level got to see this guy at his highest level. They got to see the combination flow that we're used to, the boxing, the, the fluidity of the hands to the to the low kicks. They got to see it. The problem is you're going against Maraca Gorian, who is, to me, putting himself in position to be an all-time great if he can win this tournament. So if I look at all the all-time greats, somehow him and, and Georgia Petrosian haven't fought yet, to the best of my, my memory. So I'm hoping... At some period of time in one championship, that fight happens, whether it's through this tournament winner or whatever. But we are talking about a guy who's lost one time since, since 2017. Uh, he, as you mentioned before, him and um, Ivan, I, I'm going to mess up his last name. I believe it's Kondratev. But like Kondratev, I, I, yeah. I remember thinking, man, Ivan's really touching him. You know, I remember thinking like he was scoring some good effective offense. And then Maraca Gorian, the train just keeps going. He's able to absorb your offense and just come forward with just so much violence he doesn't stop uh he's got a sitichai victory uh he's got a victory over uh super bomb by ko we're talking about a guy who's got k1 world max grand prix championship if i remember correctly uh a version of it um glory champion he is in position to be an all-time great do you see it how everybody else sees it and says that andy doesn't have a shot are you of the mind that, hey, let it play out and see if the great one can find one more, you know, Pacquiao-type moment left in his career? Yeah. It, it may be the nostalgia in me. It may be because I was the voice of K1 for so many years. You know, when I first commentated Andy Sauer, Marek Gregorian was still a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Andy's a two-time K1 Max winner when the K1 Max was the belt to win in the combat world and a two-time K1 Max runner-up. That's huge. Um, Andy Sauer has said that if he loses this one, he retires. That's it. Yeah. Done. And so I think he's pressured himself on purpose into a corner by making that statement. And when you pressure yourself into a corner like that, uh, you either curl up into a ball or you come out fighting. And I think Andy's going to come out fighting. I don't 
think he's done yet. Uh, Gregorian against Kondratev scared a lot of people. Kondratev was touching him up early. And again, I think it was the, the bright lights of one championship. It's hard to explain, but you know, I tried to earlier on in this interview. Um, there's something about your first time here that is very difficult for a lot of people, but that's behind Marek Gregorian now. Yes, he wants to uh, you know, etch his name into the annals of immortality and become one of the all-time greats. And for many people, he's already one of the all-time greats. And this could almost be a, a passing of the torch, so to say. Um, and you might be right when, you know, I've got to ask Mitch, but you're probably correct when he said Sammy Senna seated seventh. He probably thinks Andy Sauer seated eighth, but Michael Chevello doesn't think that way, mate. Um, again, Steve, it could just be the K1 that beats in my heart and always will, but... Um, I'm giving Andy a big fighting chance here, mate. I, I really am. Uh, this is not easy. You know, people are thinking easy first round knockout Marat. This is not easy. And it would have been easier, I think, if Andy hadn't announced he was going to retire if he lost. Yeah. And some people might be considering saying, well, you know, since he announced his retirement, he's got a built-in excuse because if he loses, he was going to retire anyway and he's at the end of his career. Yeah, but that's not Andy Sauer, man. I mean, if you know Andy, and I've known Andy for six, uh, 15 years, um, that's not him. He doesn't build any excuses. He's not sitting in his hotel room right now, or actually he's training right now. I've got to talk to him in half an hour. He's got a training session. Um, he's not training right now thinking, all right, no worries. If I lose this to Gregorian, I'm going to hang up the gloves anyway. No. Andy's thinking, I'm going to beat this guy. I'm going to go to the semifinals. Um, I'll probably take on Sidichaya, Ozchan, and... I'll have one last run. And um, so for me, it makes it a very, very difficult one to choose, Stephen. Yeah, it is a tough one. And I think I'm right there with you. You know, it's like uh, I will never be able to separate and would never want to separate how kickboxing made me feel when K1 Max and K1 World Grand Prix were hot in the 2000s. Like, I will never be able to separate myself from that. And when I watch Andy... Stephen, do you remember... Do you, sorry, but do you remember in K1 when Peter Ertz, and everyone thought Ertz was done? Yes, semi-shield, fight number five. That's right. Or semi-shield in the final 16 round, right? Yeah. And semi-shield was the hottest thing on the planet, steamrolling over everyone. Peter Ertz, the old man, goes in there and fights him. Everyone thought that Schilt would just hurt Peter. No one wanted Peter to have that fight. And Peter gave the fight of his life and eliminated Semi from the K1 World Grand Prix. That was one of the most stupendous kickboxing moments I have ever seen. I've ever had the privilege of calling. And a big part of me believes that Andy Sauer may have his Ertz Schilt moment. It's so funny because uh, so I just did this uh, big kickboxing series. I'm going to drop it in December. Uh, and um, it's uh, you remember the documentary I did before. This is a video series. And in it, I have the special moments that happen in kickboxing. And for me, it's you mentioned the 16 round. To, uh, if I remember correctly, it was the semifinal where Overeem ended up winning the tournament. And uh Arts beat um, uh, Schilt before that in the, the the semifinal round, but I do remember he had he said it simple. He was like, he is good at kicking, he's good at punching, and he's good at staying in range. But his defense isn't good when you come after him. So I'm coming after him, and I remember like the feel of that fight, and just the whole crowd was in it. It was like everybody you know beat the giant. I'm right there with you. 
uh, there was something that I hope happens in Andy Sauer where even though it doesn't make any sense at all to go in that direction, I hope he shows what he used to be at one period of time. Uh, but I do think that the style of offense that Murat Gregorian sustains, it does help that Murat's hittable, you know, because Andy, if he throws it, he'll hit Murat. Murat will be there. But man, it's so tough to stop that train. But but man, uh, you, you hit the nail in the coffin. Um, you know what? I'm I'm just trying to rack my mind because I've commentated so many fights. You know, I remember Peter beat Semi in the final sixteen in Seoul in in two thousand and eight. Yeah. I don't know if it's that one I'm talking about or that semi final you were talking about in two thousand and eleven when he beat Semi. It's it's one or the other. I thought it might have been the two thousand and eight final sixteen in Korea. I may be wrong, but it's definitely one of those two for sure. And uh, as we think about it, he went three wins to two over Semi Shelt. Maybe, you know, 10 years past what was his prime. You know what I'm saying? So as we're still, no matter what one we're talking about, we're still talking about way past what his prime was. And he was able to find that. It's crazy because he's still fighting right now. Oh, I love Peter, man. I I absolutely love him. So, um, but yeah, we'll... Uh, that period of time, you you guys will have me and Chevelle talking for hours here. We'll go ahead and move on. But that matchup, it is... It is one where you're like, man, can we get to see him one more time? You know, can we get to see Andy one more time? So um, we move on to the featherweight kickboxing world championship between Superbon and Georgia Petrosian. Uh, we are, as I mentioned before, talking about and Giorgio. It, it's easy. If if uh, I will only accept two answers for the greatest one, you know, 54 kg fighter of all time. There are, there's only, excuse me, 70 kg fighter of all time. There's only two answers I'll accept. I will accept the Bokao and I will accept Georgia Petrosian. At this period of time, nobody else gets on that list at this time. Uh, you can earn your way in, but those are the names. And Giorgio, clearly the, the technician, the, he is a different level of skill that I think it'll be hard to come across ever again in life. Uh, you really do have a super talent there. And then, we flash forward and we talk about Superbon. And Superbon, who is not just an exceptional fighter, uh, you know, like a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. It's not just that. But we are talking about a guy who a lot of people struggle with turning the Muay Thai style over into kickboxing. But here's a guy who's been able to find successful boxing, been able to find, you know, his uh, uh, his offense, you know, like... Uh, uh, with with combo flow, clearly he still plays a tie game, but man, he has a talent, and he's got the victory over Sidichai. Uh He's got you know wins. I'd say in the last two years, he's another name that's got to be in your top three. Uh, your last three years, you could say he he does have the Moraccagorian loss. He does have an Indy Semilier loss. Uh, you know, very close there. But man, I look at his resume: Muhammad Kamal, uh, uh, Jong Thong, like. Uh, Norden Ben Mo, he has beaten some elite, elite guys. And here he goes and gets his chance with the guy, Georgia Petrosian. How do you see this one playing out? Because this one has got greatness all over it if Superbond can get the victory. There's so many stories you just brought up then in that description of both men. Superbond, um, first of all, you mentioned Buakal. Okay, yeah. and I agree. Um, Buakal, Petrosian, the two greats. Um, I think. Petrosian is the greatest of all time. Um, Bukal Petrosian, the match that everyone, the rematch everyone wanted to see, never went down. A lot of people believe, whether you're one of them or not, listeners, up to you, that Bukal dodged Georgia Petrosian for another match. Mm-hmm. Um, here we have Superbon, who a lot of 
people say is the next Bukal, you know, the heir apparent to Bukal. Um, so Georgia Petrosian, on the other hand, the resume is incomparable. Um, a lot of people will argue that Petrosian is undefeated, that he was poisoned entirely Stephen early on in his career, remember? Yes, I do. Um, right? He was poisoned in Thailand. And then that, um, of course, you, Stephen, you know about the allegations of Andy Risty tampering with his gloves. Uh-huh. So, you know, a lot of people will say Petrosian deserves to have an undefeated record. Listen, all that aside, like you said, this is going to be a, a phenomenal match. Um Superbon has converted the Muay Thai into kickboxing very effectively, just the way that, you know, Burkhal did. Um, I, I think it's going... It, it, how do I describe this one? It's just much here, so much to process. Petrosian's the Ferrari of kickboxing. And I believe that Superbon is almost like, you know, some big, you know, some powerful SUV. Um, Superbon can load up on a single kick and hurt you. Petrosian can fluently put together combinations and damage you. Petrosian's got it over him, I believe, in the ring IQ, in the footwork, in the head movements, in the boxing, in the combinations. Superbon has it over Giorgio in the power, has it over him in the kicks. Uh, both men have good knees. Giorgio's got the better step-through knees, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that Superbon's going to rely on that one big ripping power shot, especially off his legs, and Giorgio's going to rely on on, on volume. Um, I think Giorgio beats him over five rounds. I don't think we're going to see a knockout here. I think Giorgio decisions him. Uh, but, man, this is, you know, if you're a betting person, maybe avoid betting on this one. Yeah. <laughs> No, keep your money in your pocket. Seriously, put your put your money on Rade Opacic instead. You know, keep, keep your, your money off the off the off the table for this one. Yeah, you know, I'm right there with you. Uh, it's just uh, um, uh, for those of you who are listening and probably don't know the history. When Petrosian was moving up the ranks, that was a big thing that had come up. And I don't think it was a Bukau situation in particular, but I do think Mr. Porpomok, who history would show, wasn't the most noble of guys after we got to the end of that. But the rumor was he would have a contract for Bukau to get a certain amount of money, and in the contract, he wouldn't fight Georgia Petrosian. So that was like a rumor back then. Um, the uh, gloves thing, of course, a little bit tougher with Andy Risty, uh, just because I've worked fights in New York before and they are super tough to get anything by. But still, that was something that, you know, uh, had like a mystique to it. Like, did this have to happen for this guy to beat Georgia? Because it should be noted, Petrosian had won the first two rounds before that shot landed. So uh, he is right. There are people out there that have that feeling about Petrosian. Um, and he ended up being such a great fighter in Italy. You thought that he would produce other great kickboxers in Italy, and it just didn't happen, not to that level. Uh, he just ended up being good. His brother ended up being okay. Uh, so that was a big part of it. Um, but Superbon who has been, you know, putting together the resume that he's been putting together of late. Um, He's not just beating guys, he's stopping guys. And uh, clearly, you know, uh, if you look, you're going to see a lot of decisions. But, man, you you look at some of the the better names and you go, man, how did this guy get, you know, uh, um, 
get the opportunity? How did he take play? David Kiria, like he's got victories over a lot of the guys in the tournament. And I go, man, he's got the pop and he can use it, but he's more of a decision guy. And that's going to be tough to beat Petrosian if it's a decision. But at the same time, man, it's uh, I cannot rule anybody out if you are beating, you know, set a shot. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I can't rule you out if you've got such an elite win on your resume. So, um, but yeah, well, I promised I wouldn't take too much of Chevelle's time. As he mentioned before, he's got some things to go. Uh, the only thing I wanted to finish you finish with is simply to ask you this question. Have you ever seen a talent as exciting as Rod Tang? Because the reason why I say that is I've been doing this for a long time. I've watched a lot of kickboxing. Uh, Right now, he's got to be in like my all-time top five, you know. Um, you know, and I'll throw Takuru in there as well from uh, Japan. In terms of guys who, if he's fighting, stop what you're doing, watch it, because you're going to see some violence and a guy who doesn't care to get hit like anybody else. Literally, his fights are more talked about when uh, one championship did that month where they were on uh, TNT. They people talked about his fights the most, and there were other notable names like there were, you know, um, uh, I believe John Wayne Parr, Parr fought during that period of time. Nikki Holtzkin fought during that period of time. Ratang is the one that most of my students and most people asked about. What are your thoughts on such a phenomenal, remember where you were type talent when you watch this guy fight? Oh, it's hundred percent true. Um, Ratang may not be the most technical fighter. Um, I don't think he's, you know, technically as gifted as a, as a talent shy, let's say, um, or as a kulabdam. But if you're talking about look, sheer excitement and must-watch TV when this guy's on, man, he's got to be maybe maybe the one guy, the number one guy in the world right now. You're talking – it's like when Tyson used to fight. Mike Tyson was not the most gifted boxer. You know, he had a lot of shortcomings as a boxer. Um, you know, Larry Holmes had a much better jab and Ali, you know, was much better movement and fluidity and and you could argue Foreman maybe even had more power. Um, but Tyson, you had to watch him whenever he was on. You needed to watch him destroy opponents. You need to watch Rod Tongue destroy opponents. And in the process, sometimes look like he's going to get destroyed himself because that guy can take a hell of a beating and then pound his chest raw and then come back on you and just obliterate you. And on December 5, of course, he fights Demetrius Johnson in a special rules match where it's the first round Muay Thai, three minutes, second round mixed martial arts, three minutes, third round Muay Thai, three minutes, fourth round mixed martial arts, three minutes. So Demetrius Johnson, the greatest... MMA fighter takes on Rod Tang, the greatest at the moment and most exciting Muay Thai fighter. And for the first three minutes, DJ has to survive Rod Tang's Muay Thai. Yeah. That is freaking crazy. And we'll, we'll talk again before that event happens, Stephen, and break it down. But man, if you're not excited about that one, you do not have a pulse. Check yourself into the hospital. Maybe visit the, the local mortuary um, because. What a time to be alive, man. Rod Tang versus DJ. It would never happen anywhere else. And DJ asked for it. Demetrius Johnson made this fight. He created it. He asked for this fight. That's crazy. Yep. Crazy is the word I was thinking too. It's just when I first heard that he wanted to go into kickboxing, my first thought was, okay, they've got a big roster. They'll give him a guy to... um, 
you know, work on some tools with. And then if he wants a bigger bout down the road, he can do it. But as we talked about before with the Oscan, it does not seem to be how things go. And it doesn't seem like the fighters wanted any other way. The fact that he was like, no, that's the guy, the, 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 the crazy guy who's taking shots and, you know, smiling and laughing and roaring at people. Just As, uh, as the story goes, Stephen, <laughs> one championship um, wanted uh, Demetrius Johnson versus Rod Tongue because, of course, DJ said he wouldn't mind kickboxing. And um, as the story goes, DJ said, well, I don't want to fight Rod Tongue for a World Muay Thai title because I'm not deserving of that title. There's guys out there who deserve that Muay Thai title who've been training in Muay Thai their entire lives. I haven't, you know, um, but I want to fight Rod Tongue. So why don't we mix up the rules? Let's, you know, one round each, one, one set of rules each. My rules one round, his rules one, one round. Man, that's you know, it's that that's the stuff that dreams are made of. I mean, this is why we tune into the sport of martial arts. We want to see style versus style. We're ultimately gonna see that on December five in four ounce gloves, how Demetrius Johnson, if he doesn't run around the cage for three minutes, how he takes a solid blow from Rod Tongue. I dare say DJ's not gonna stand in front of Rod Tongue and trade. It'd be suicide. But Three minutes against Rod Tang is a long time for anybody. Now, if he survives three minutes, it goes to DJ's world in the second round, and how long can Rod Tang survive without getting taken down? I don't believe long unless Rod Tang can run. It's it's going to be amazing. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of uh, um, Jinutsu and uh, Shinyo Aoki, and Aoki kept right. flapping all over the place and pull, you know pulling guard and falling down, and then it went to MMA rules. And he ran over and then he got hit with a jumping knee. And like, I just remember thinking it's probably the most insane thing that I've ever seen in one of those mixed fights type of things. So when this fight came into play, I was like, okay, I wonder how competent DJ is going to be. Cause DJ is very small, you know, like, like he's, he's small, small people don't realize he could put in the 115 pound, you know, UFC champ if they had the division, but he's a smaller guy. And, um, for him, for you to tell me that story that he had structured it all and put it all together, that just blows my mind. It just makes me think even higher of him, you know, like just <laughs> that he's like, no, this is the guy I want to fight. Let's work it out rules wise. We are talking about an awesome, awesome spectacle. So I'll definitely don't don't don't, don't take that officially. I just believe that's the story. So okay. don't don't take my word officially for that. I believe it's a story floating around. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I'm intrigued to see what DJ's been hit by the best mixed martial artists on the planet. But as you know, Stephen, Muay Thai guys hit different. in a whole different way yes. to mixed martial arts guys. What happens if Rod Tang loads up even one punch with four-ounce gloves? What if he lands one good leg kick, one good rib kick, one good elbow? So many questions here. And he's not doing it against a second-rate mixed martial arts guy who's doing it against arguably the best of all time yeah definitely i agree and uh i'm excited now uh, you guys all heard it it's 100 percent fact how that story went down chevella just confirmed it um that's like, um the last thing that i want to uh mess with or ask about the last talent i want to ask about is and i was having this conversation the other day is jonathan Haggerty the best english muay thai talent since liam harrison and i bring that oh, yeah. up because to yeah. me 
It's a no-brainer. Now, 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 Liam's That's lost. You know, he's he's lost, and and you know, he's gone against some tough guys, and you know, he's he has had a great one. But to me, Liam Harrison is, you know, the the name when you talk about English world Muay Thai. Like I remember, I first heard about him when he was twenty years old, and here we are, he's still fighting in one championship, still hurting guys with elbows and low kicks, just phenomenal. But when I see Haggerty. And I go, man, thank goodness for this platform because it'd be different if we didn't have a one championship to, to do that weight class. It's the most I've ever seen a young talent look like that that dominant or that clear cut as the best of his weight coming out of England. So last question so I can let you get on with your day. What are your thoughts on him as a talent and the Liam Harrison comparison? Mate, you hit the nail on the head. Um, um, Liam Harrison is UK Muay Thai. You think UK Muay Thai, English Muay Thai, you think Liam, you think Aussie Muay Thai, you think Wayne Parr, you think American Muay Thai, um, Kevin Ross comes to mind straight away. You know, uh, the, the, the guy now taking that torch and not walking with it but running with it, bolting with it, is Haggerty. He's a special talent. He's young. He's technically brilliant. He's got a set mature head on his shoulders. He moves well. He's not afraid. We saw him go up against Rod Tung, you know, in, in their series, and he's just not afraid to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and dish it out and take it. Um, he's an amazing young talent. And if anyone hasn't seen him, go to the One Championship uh, YouTube page, look at his fights with Rod Tung, and just sit there and be gobsmacked by what this talented young Englishman can do. It's, it's For a Westerner to have that talent and that mindset, that attitude is just... And just unheard of, man. It's just amazing. Where can we watch the fights? So uh, check your local oh, – well, no, in the US, you won't be able to watch it on TV. I believe it's going to be on the BR app yep. live. I believe it will be also via the One Championship YouTube page. Um, if you can't access that, just use a VPN, man. A lot of people do. Just go to, you know, access a Singapore VPN or Australian VPN and, you know, jump on the YouTube page and, and watch it there. It's all live and free and uh, it'll be early morning in, in the US. Uh, it's nighttime on Friday night here in Singapore and uh, Steve, I don't have to sell this one to anyone, mate. You don't have to sell it to anyone. If anyone knows kickboxing, the whole card is kickboxing. There's no Muay Thai. There's no MMA. Um, this is this is the one, mate. This this is the one. Man, I'm super excited and thanks. And, and we were talking a little bit about this off air. This is the first round. Do we have the dates for the next two or just uh, we're just on no, this tournament? We do not. We do not have them yet. Um, calendar's still getting all sorted for the rest of the year, but I don't think it'll be too far away. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for you know for coming on. My, I have known Chevelle. I'm telling you guys, when he did uh, the the Hari, um, you know, interview, yeah. I was there. Uh, I, I just feel like I've known this guy forever and ever and ever. <laughs> he was the post in the fight forums back in the day with Kakatugi and K1 fans and just us old kickboxing heads. Were, you know. We're going to pass away one day. So we got to give you guys as much confidence or content as possible. And Chevelle was still bringing together high-level uh, kickboxing and Muay Thai and uh, lending his voice to our sport. So thank you so much for being a part of this. Love you, Steve, as always, mate. We go way back. And uh, you know what? Before December 5, we'll talk again. We'll break down Rod and DJ. All right, cool. Perfect. Into it. Um, uh it's, it's hilarious when I look at this, but there was a K1 event that went down um, 
it was uh, one of the World Grand Prix tournaments, but really it was the Masaki Nori showcase. Uh, of course, you guys know I feel about Masaki Nori. I first came upon him in the uh, uh, Koshin tournaments back in the day. Uh, he ended up winning one of the tournaments. Uh, it's I've you know gone through the story a million times. Uh, he showed me something different. And I got to watch him come up and, and do a lot of the fights before he started fighting in K1 on a regular basis. Uh, and then I came up with a joke that, at the time, Koyorobe, Masaki Nori, and Iman Barlow were my kickboxing kids, my, my Muay Thai kickboxing kids, people who have showed great, great talent, um, great skill set, but I didn't get the opportunity to see them one-on-one you know, or, or like like I, I did get to see the others one-on-one these guys I got to see them grow I've known Iman Barlow since he was like 15 16 years old uh you know it's it's it was cool to see them uh and all Koyorobe I can't remember if he won the tournament or if he lost one year in the semifinal I just realized this southpaw's got a lot of skill all I knew was the style of Misaki Nori, there was something different there. Not just the fact that he had, you know, the karate background, the big time low kicks. Um, he'll do the heel kick. He'll do the knee to the thigh. Like he and Rico Verheerven do the most leg attack techniques. And he's smaller, so it looks faster. But also the boxing and the step knees really set him apart. So I really, really liked him. And uh, But for other, whatever reason, in his history, sometimes he struggles in some of these tournaments. Uh, he'll be the favorite, he'll win, and then he'll lose the final, and it comes up. Not so much today. Uh, he was able to have success and really, really dominate the field. Uh, I can't stress you enough. So first of all, the tournament was done at 67.5 kgs. That is a... There's some good history for that weight class in the world. Um, Liam Harrison, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, uh, he has fought at that weight class a lot. But Kyle used to come down and fight at that sometimes. It's uh, uh, It's got some good history. So when this tournament came together, I was really, really excited to see what happened. And uh, it went down September 20th. And it is one of the most violent tournaments you're ever going to see. Because if there's anything I'll tell you about K1, they bring it, and they get stoppages all over their card. So I'm going to go ahead and start going through some of these results. Uh, Takahiko Kabayashi gets a uh, knockout victory over Takuma uh, Shimizu. Uh, that was the second round. Kazuki Deku gets a victory over Kurogi uh, Dorvish, and that was in the first round. So we've already got the night started off with KOs. And then we've got this weird anomaly. Anomaly where Ayinta Ali, uh, she gets a victory over Ruku um, uh, Kojima, and that was unanimous decision, 30-28, uh, 30-29, 30-28. Uh, so then we get back into the violence. Masaki Nori defeats uh, Kumiya by knockout, second round. The body work that's shown throughout this tournament by Masaki Nori, Masaki Nori was absolutely wonderful. Um, Ryu, uh, Rikyu, uh, Anpo, of course, would be the other favorite when you looked at the card on the outside. Um, he gets a knockout victory in 31 seconds over Alan Soares. Uh, Riku, uh, Riki Matsuko gets a victory over Maki. Uh, Duan Sungpop, I believe there is a Fairtex gym out there. Name eludes me right now. I believe that's where Maki's from. Anyways, he got knocked out. Second round, uh, 30 minutes in, so right at the end of the round. I can't remember if it was he didn't an answer the bell or if he got hit right at the bell, but no matter. That's another knockout. Uh, Ryuka gets a victory over Hakira Hasumi. That was another take-around knockout. And then we've got another one of those anomalies. we got 30-27, 30-25, 30-36 victory for Yudo uh, Shinohara. 
several knockdowns in the fight. Of course, the 30-25. The I think the 30-27 was wrong. Maybe they missed the knockdown or maybe they thought that it was a slip. Sometimes that happens. But Toshika Taniyama uh, had no opportunities in this fight. And it was really, really one-sided to the best of my memory. Um, Akihiro Kaneko gets a victory over Koki uh, by knockout. Again, the, the KOs come back. Katomi uh, gets a victory over uh, Rikoka Sakurai, and that was 30-28 across the boards. And then we get Toma gets a victory over Yusuke uh, by knockout. Awesome stuff there. Tato over Ju uh, Tato Junji uh, over Takehito Nimi. That was unanimous decision. Don't worry. I'll get away from these decisions in a second. We'll get back to the violence. Um, and then we had uh, Kato Ozawa getting a 30-29 on all three cards over Yuta uh, Kaneda. We go back into the tournament field, which means we go back into the violence and the knockouts. Masaki Nori gets a KO victory over uh, Yenta Ali. And then we had, um, what was it? Sorry, I lost my place, lost my place. Rikia Ampo gets a victory over Riki uh, Matsuko. Knockout, third round, um, 235 in. I didn't make a mistake. I think I said a Yenta was the female match on accident. I didn't mean to, but I think I may have done that back in the past. Nevertheless, got knocked out. Um, we move forward. Really good stuff. And here's the important thing. Both Ampo and Nori had KO victories early. You want the person that wins your tournament to cement it with a victory so that people go, oh, well, that decision was close, or that should have been that person, or whatever. That is always an option in kickboxing. There's always going to be those opportunities if you leave it to the judges where people go, man, there's a chance that it could have gone the other way. But not this time. This time, these guys show up, and they both killed their guys the time before at KO Stoppages. We're going to have a clean final. We move on to Yoshihiro Kido getting a victory over uh, Katoro Yomochi by knockout in the second round. I've mentioned it before. Yoshihiro Kido is one of my favorite characters in all of kickboxing. This guy is so comedic. He makes fun of himself. Uh, he um, has all these interesting videos and just... Uh, uh, you're, it's a joy. Plus, he's the comeback king because he's dropped again early in this one, if I remember correctly, and then he comes back and wins by knockout. Uh, he gives up a lot of first rounds, and he's sneaky with a spinning back hook kick, or, you know, bass fist and uh, hook kicks, and he just finds a way to get wins, and Yoshihiro Kido has been a consistent moneymaker in K1 for a long time. Satoshi Ishii gets a victory over Rio Ateka, extra round extension, 10-9 on all cards. Let me tell you this right now. I didn't see this coming at all. I did not see Ishii getting a victory over Ataka, um, who is at least a serviceable kickboxer. Ishii has never shown consistent kickboxing skill, even in his MMA fights, to the point where I go, that guy's going to be good at kickboxing. But he was able to put it together here, get the victory. I always laugh because he goes out to Croatia and he trains with Mirko. And I go, man, if you want gold medal for somebody, you don't get to go to some other country and claim them and, and wear their flag. But somehow Ishii's done it and they still bring him back and use him on a regular basis. So my apologies, I was wrong. Shotishi Ishii, talented guy, doesn't matter what flag he's got. We go to Hirotaka uh, Asah uh, Asahisa gets a victory over Momotaro, and that was the very end of the first round. I believe there's a couple knockouts in that. Um, you had Yuda Norikoshi gets a victory over Norofumi uh, Nishimoto, and that was 30-27 across the cards. And then I think there was 30-26 in the end. Uh, Reisu Ashizawa uh, uh, gets a victory over Hirotaka Arabe. 
I've mentioned it before. The consistency of Arabe has just been puzzling. If there's one thing that sets him and Koya Arabe apart, is Koya keeps beating guys that he's supposed to beat. Whereas Arabe, who was a killer, when he's fighting at, you know, round 60 kgs, I want to say, this guy was a murderer. And then all of a sudden, he has not shown the consistency at the high level. He does have the jumping knee victory over uh, his brother, but his brother also has a decision victory over him where clearly it looked like he could have turned it up. Koya Arabe did not. Uh, Hirotaka uh, just lost by a simple decision. It's crazy that brothers can actually fight, but they actually didn't. It was pretty dope. Um, but he's never developed that consistency. And he loses 30-28 and 30-27 on the scorecards to Rusi. Dezo Sasaki gets a victory over Kenta Hayashi. Uh, that was close. There was a several illegal shots, if I remember correctly. Some low blows. Um, uh, I think there was knockdowns on both sides. Uh, Kenta Hayashi, it wasn't the most memorable battle. I might be wrong about that, but man, I remember illegal stuff and low blows. Uh, and uh, I remember the scorecards. There was, like I said, knockdowns on both sides. I'd have to rewatch it. Watch me be totally wrong, and it was an actual kill, you know, kill fight, but... I let too much time go by between them, and I forgot a little bit. Cena can remain and gets a victory over Kyotaro. Um, it went to an extra round. It was a split decision. Uh, Kyotaro's got a you know good history, been in the game for a while. Cena is Middle Eastern. I can't remember the exact country. I'm going to be wrong. I think it's like Iran. But he's super talented. Uh, he's got a lot of good kickboxing skill. He's been able to retain that title for quite some time. I'm curious to see what the future holds for him. Uh, they got to bring in a, tar a harder tournament and stiffer competition. But he seems to be a regular. Wrap the show up with Misaki Nori getting a victory over Rikia Ampo by knockout. As I mentioned before. It's not just that he was stopping these guys. It was the body work and the knees and like he was killing them with shots to the body. Uh, of course, Nori's always calm and casual and he plays a good strong defense with his guard and maybe sometimes too much with his guard. But man, when this guy puts it together, he is all action, one of the best kickboxers on the planet. He represents the sport so highly when he puts it together. So awesome stuff for Nori, awesome tournament. Last bit of news I want to talk about, of course, is the video that surfaced of Cedric Dumbay coming out and saying that he's fully committed to mixed martial arts. His next fight will be in MMA, and he's no longer fighting kickboxing anymore. For whatever reason, if it is the end, let me tell you this. Cedric Dumbay is an all-time great. The resume that he's put together in the last 10, 15, you know, 10 years, I'd say, um, he has beaten people who uh, it would have been fun to see if he could have done 85 and uh you know or 87 187 pounds or uh, 85 kgs it would have been cool if he would consider to move up and if somehow some way him and um another person who has left the sport and moving on to or left kickboxing and move on to mma uh it would be fun if him and Piero could have done it you know what i'm saying him and alex could have done it but in the end he had a great 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 run at 77 kgs i'm excited for his future no matter what it holds and and when you see that money that's going around with you know high level mixed martial artists it makes a lot of sense to me that he'd be like i want to leave this and go to that I want to be a millionaire. You know, I've got no problem with it. And it makes sense to me that he would believe his skill set and his talent would get him there. Um, but man, he was a lot of fun to watch. I will miss him in the kickboxing world. Cedric Dumbay, all-time, all-time great. You will probably, when you think about the best 77 kg fighters of all time, Dumbay is going to be in the conversation no matter who you are. So God bless everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, 
I will be back next week with the breakdown of the K1 event or the uh, Glory event. And the Glory event, of course, has got the return of Gokan Saki. And then we've got Jamal Ben Sadiq replacing the injured uh, Alistair Overeem. And he will go get his title match against Regal Verheerven. So we've got some fun stuff going down in two weeks. Uh, and I hope you guys join us. God bless.